Good evening and welcome to another edition of uh, Unknown Christian Soldiers. It's been a while and I'm about to get into that, but first let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now and ask your blessing on this podcast. We humble ourselves down and ask that you guide us through this. Guide me to, to present things in the way that you want me to. Guide us in our lives to get the most out of this that we can, Father. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been so long since we've done a podcast, and just to just lay it out there to you, uh, it's excuses. I know uh, all my excuses are lies, uh, as as uh, Jocko likes to say. You know, we up coming from a military background, I like to listen to some of those type podcasts. But uh, because my job has had me on the road basically about twenty six days a month, uh, I feel like I'm only working and sleeping. And, and for the few days that I do have off. I usually spend that with my family and attend my local church, so uh, it's just it's it's been tough. And again, I apologize to y'all those who actually do want to listen to this. I, I put this podcast out because I feel like that's what God wants me to do. If no one ever listens to it, then then so be it. You know, if, if two people find something out of it, then great. You know, if a million people find something out of it, great. But it's, it has nothing to do with, with me or or anything. It has to do with what God wants. So it's until then we're going to be low budget and we're just going to carry on whenever we can. Okay. Uh, but I will do my best to produce better content more often, but I really need the prayers of everyone out there. If y'all can pray, uh, give for me to have strength and, and knowledge, the ability to get this done. But on today's podcast, we're going to discuss fasting and prayer. What is fasting? What are some biblical references to it and more? I want to do a whole bunch of this uh, in one podcast, but there's just too much. This ended up being longer than I thought it was going to, so uh, this will be a multi-part segment here in fasting. Uh, later, we're going to discuss what fasting isn't, as well as when and how to fast. Again, those two parts will be in another podcast, but today we're really going to go into what is fasting. Uh, we are going to present the Christians in Nigeria as our unknown Christian soldiers for this podcast. Uh, what they're what they're going through. Uh, go over about what's happening there. They're they're on the world watch list. Uh, I think the Nigeria, the Christian Church in Nigeria, I think it's tenth or twelfth on the list, the world watch list. Uh, so they're definitely facing a lot of persecution over there. Now we're going to have a quick book review of uh, the book Fasting by Jensen Franklin. Um, I may mispronounce that name. Uh, and we're also going to do a little study, begin a study on Ephesians. Uh, again, this is going to be a slow study. Last time I tried to do a study, I was very rushed because I tried to make each podcast only 30 minutes. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, and we're going to take our time with it. Um, in fact, I may may just do a few verses at a time. Uh, we'll just kind of see how that progresses. Uh, but we're not going to do it rushed like we did the last one. So hopefully this is going to be good and I look forward to digging into this. Alright, so this week we're going to do a Bible verse here real quick. Uh, this Bible verse will be Ephesians 1 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Uh, now, this is actually pretty interesting because this verse was literally taken at random this morning from BibleStudyTools.com. I just went on there and saw their daily verse, and it was Ephesians 1 7. And we're going to start a study in Ephesians, so I thought that was pretty cool the way God works like that a lot of times. So, we have been redeemed through Christ's sacrifice. This is kind of what this means. We've been redeemed through Christ's sacrifice and our sins have been forgiven. 
you know, Paul is trying to convey the message to the church of Ephesus that there is hope, forgiveness, and grace uh, through what Christ has done for us. Uh, now, this week's unknown Christian soldiers are going to be the church, the Christian churches of Nigeria. Uh, they're facing persecution. Uh, even USA Today did a piece on how bad the persecution is getting. Uh, last year, over 3,700 Christians were killed in Nigeria for their faith. Uh, but now they're being kidnapped in large numbers as well. Um, on May 18th, uh, 17 were abducted during their choir practice at their church. Uh, now, even USA Today goes into this, some other locations, uh, such as India and some other China and some other places, you know, but they, they did specifically mention this in one of their articles not too long ago. Uh, the Daily Signal reports that kidnappings and other atrocities are happening there in Nigeria. In fact, 110 girls were kidnapped, and fortunately, all but one were later released. Uh, Leah, the one who remains, is a Christian who refused to renounce her faith. Now, Rebecca Sharubu, I may mispronounce that, uh, is the mother of Leah, the kidnapping victim. And she was quoted in an article saying, I stand here for pleading the government of U.S. Of course, this is broken English here uh, in, in the article. Please help me. Please help me. I need my daughter back. I need my daughter. And again, she... She refuses to renounce her faith, and she remains a kidnapping victim in this mostly Muslim area, Muslim country. Uh, you know, there have been many church fires, kidnappings, and murders committed against the churches in Nigeria. Uh, you know, there are warriors in the fight over there. They're refusing to give up their faith or hope when facing this persecution. Keep them in your prayers. I, I, I can't stress that enough there's so many i know there's so many nations and areas out there and i really hope i can get into some individual people over nigeria uh that might be out there in the fight um that we can we can lift up but just keep the christians in this country in nigeria in your prayer i mean if you're listening to this and you're in america you have no idea how good you have it if we wanted to go stand on the corner and preach right now we could go to our church now are there some subtle nuances we're working around we're working with right now you know like the government putting restrictions etc uh you know threatening churches to lose their tax exempt status you know things like that yeah i mean that's that's true but that's minute compared to what these other countries are going through um people aren't getting murdered in the street here in the u.s on mass because of their belief I, it does happen i mean there are people that will get killed because of their belief here in the u.s but it's nothing like other countries. It's nothing like what they're experiencing other places. And uh, I spoke with uh, my associate pastor of my church about a few things. And one thing he brought up was you're seeing, you don't see the demonic activity in the U.S. as much as you do overseas. And that may very well be because the U.S. is... Let's, let's be honest, let's, let's face it. The U.S. is in a bit of a spiritual decline. Um, the secularism, the humanism, all the things that America is about, the, the social media, the Instagram, the how famous can I be, um, look at me, look at me, look at me mentality that we have right now. It's all about me, 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 me. That's all it is. There's no need for Satan to have some big campaign against Christians in America because America's doing it to itself. America is folding itself into 
a complete and total selfish nation that could care less about others for the most part. Now, I'm, this is a generalization. This isn't to say that there aren't good Christian people here in America that still are in the fight, that still are trying to have a difference, etc. But society as a whole, the nation as a whole, is sliding in that direction. They're sliding the wrong way. They're going towards the direction of Nineveh. We're going towards the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the direction we're going. There's no need for Satan to wage a campaign here. He already has, and it worked, and it's it's going that way. There are people in other countries that are dying for what they believe in. Here, we can't people to show up to church for what they believe. We, I can't get someone to make a donation for something they believe in. And I get some people are strapped for money. I'm not trying to say that, but there are people who are very capable of making donations to stuff that won't. Um, there are people very capable of making it to church, and they won't. There are people who are very capable of doing many things that God might be calling them to do, and they're not going to do it. Because the mentality we have here, Satan has got a foothold and a firm grip on the direction this nation is heading. And the only way we can change that is through fasting and prayer. The only thing we can change with what's going on in these other countries where these people are being persecuted, such as in Nigeria, is through fasting and prayer. And that's why it's so important that we talk about that here today. So let's get into that. So let's get into the meat potatoes of uh, what we're going to talk about on today's podcast. All right, so fasting and prayer. This is going to be part one of this series. I think it's going to be two-part. We're going to have to wait and see uh, how well we get through the other parts of the next podcast. Uh, I think it's just going to be a two-part, but we'll see. All right, so let's start off with some basic definitions. For those who don't know, what is fasting? Well, I looked up some different meanings, and let's start with, with more secular uh versions of it okay like Webster's defines fasting as a as a verb meaning to eat no food for a period of time uh, which obviously that's different than starvation where you don't have any food to eat you know you're choosing to eat no food for a period of time now Wikipedia says the fasting is the willing abstinence or reduction from some or all food drink or both for a period of time now again these are secular definitions uh, the ones that the world has established. While parts of these definitions are true for Christian or biblical type fasting, uh, it's much more involved with our meaning. When we do say biblical fasting, it's it's not just abstaining from food. That's that's the root of it, or that's the the what we outwardly see is is not eating of food. Okay, but fasting from a biblical perspective has to be for the right reasons and conditions. Okay, so. What is biblical fasting? Uh, what is biblical? What is a biblical fasting definition? Would be the best way to put this. Okay. So I searched out some basic definitions that I thought we could review to give us a base to start from here. So, allaboutprayer.org says that prayer and fasting is defined as voluntarily going without food in order to focus on prayer and fellowship with God. Again, we see that difference there at the end in order to focus on prayer and fellowship with God. Alright, BibleStudyTools.com says that fasting is essentially giving up food or something else in their definition for a period of time in order to focus your thoughts on God. Now fasting as a Christian is about more than just not eating. Uh, you know, not eating is a part of it. Obviously it's, it's the main part. 
some people have medical conditions which they, they, they have to eat, uh, you know, since it's a diabetic or there might be some other conditions out there. I, I'm, not, I'm not a medical professional, so I'm not well versed in that, uh, but there may be some very serious uh, complications for people who try to fast without seeking the advice of medical professionals first. So if there's ever any doubt at all in your mind, always seek a medical professional's guidance and counseling first, and there are some alternatives uh, to to doing completely without food, such as the Daniel fast, etc. But um, but a fasting as a Christian is a time to deprive your body of something that it needs to live. I mean, food is one of the basic essences, or it is a basic thing we need to survive, to function. You know, plants, um, we can survive off plants, uh, but obviously I like steak, I like chicken, I like those things a lot of us do. Uh, but we need that to live. If you go too long without food, you'll die. It's just, that's just how we're designed. That's how we're made. Food is a fuel that keeps us going, just like gasoline or diesel or even electric motors. You know, all these different engines or these motors require fuel or a power source to keep them going. We're the same way. You know, if you're going down the road and you run out of gas, your car dies. All right? Same thing in your body. Eventually, your body runs out of, of nutrients and other things that it needs to keep going, and your body will shut down. So again, food is something we have to have to live, okay? But we're gonna deprive ourselves of it, deprive ourselves of something that we need to live and set aside that time for prayer and meditation on God and His Word and His will, okay? Fasting without prayer is dieting, okay? So you must also make sure that you are focusing on prayer not just going without food, but focusing on God's will. Um, you can't make God do something that he wouldn't be inclined to do by fasting. Um, now, you can move God's heart, and we'll talk about that later, like with Nineveh, okay? But um, you're not going to force God's hand to do something that he doesn't want to do by fasting, okay? Uh, really, fasting is a way of opening up God's will to you and have giving you an understanding of God's will. Uh, sometimes God is waiting for you to humble yourself and fast. We're talking about that here in a second too. Okay, so what does the Bible say about fasting specifically? Well, in Jesus Christ's words and experiences on fasting are mentioned in the Bible. Uh, we always want to look to Christ's example and try and follow it. Now, Matthew chapter six, Christ talks about fasting. Uh, specifically in verses 16 through 18. So here it is. This is the NIV. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So this is Christ himself telling us, when we fast, that's a personal thing between us and God. Okay? Uh, I'm going to talk about a book review here in a little bit where uh, that right, the author of the book does mention you know, results from fasting from different people, etc. 
again, that's a personal thing between you and God, but for discussing it after the fact. Uh, but while you are fasting, it's important that only you and those who need to know or have to know know. For example, if someone prepares your food for you, if you're a high school student or you're married and someone else is preparing your meals for you, that would be someone you would probably want to let know or you would need to let know, hey, I'm going to be fasting for this period of time. You also want to let them know, hey, please, let's keep that between us, okay? Uh, but they need to know so that they can make the proper adjustments or proper arrangements so they know not to prepare you a meal or they know to cook less, etc. You know, that's that's just a common courtesy to those who are going to be preparing your meals for you. But outside of that, there's really no reason to let anyone else know that you're fasting. And then Jesus reiterates that right there in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 16 through 18. Okay, uh, But this is a guide for conducting yourself while fasting and making sure you're pure in your motives. Uh, there are some individuals out there who want people to feel sorry for them and want them to know that they're suffering, etc. Uh, again, not passing any judgment on those people, but the Bible itself says right here, you know, Christ himself has said, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. It means their reward is men seeing them and, and admiring their sacrifice or whatever it is. They receive nothing from God because that is not about God, it's about them. Okay, Jesus also spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness. So Jesus himself went out there and fasted for 40 days. Now there's something about 40 days, or number 40, excuse me, something about 40. Um, you know, Jesus spent 40 days fasting. It rained for 40 days. Um, when at 40 days after Jesus was born, he was brought to the temple. 40 years in the wilderness. You know, 40 is a reoccurring number in the Bible. Um, that seems to have some big significance. And I'm gonna have to do some research on that as specifically why. I don't know why that is. If some of you guys know, let us know. Write us at unknownchristiansoldiers at gmail.com. You know, we have a Facebook page up. It's very, very basic. We have a kind of an unofficial and an official one that are kind of tied together out there. Send us a message on that, like, like that. Um, I have a website that's kind of built, but I've discovered that I'm terrible at building websites. So I will not be publishing that until I get someone to help me with that. Um, <laughs> it's embarrassing, actually. Uh, but uh, but shoot us shoot us a message. Let us know if, if you have some some biblical insight on that. I'd love to know why forty is such a significant number throughout the Bible. But, all right. So, but he spent forty days without food. That's significant. So, uh, let's get into that right here. So. Chapter 4, again, we're going to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, this is referenced in other Gospels as well, and I'll mention that later on, specifically those verses. But for now, let's read Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. <clears throat> this is NIV. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, which the tempter obviously is Satan, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of, comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands 
so that you will not strike a foot against the stone. Uh, now that, that is actually important right there. I'm going to pause the reading for just a moment here. That's actually important right there because uh, one of the prophecies of the Messiah was that he would break no bones. Um, so that is, again, referencing that right there, that uh, if you were to cast yourself down, the angels would come to him and rescue him, obviously because he can't break any bones according to the, the prophecy that the Messiah would have in order to fulfill. So uh, verse 7, Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came to attend him. Again, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul, like uh, Toby Max says. Okay? Uh, right there it says, The devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. It's not worth it. We look at things from an earthly perspective, like right there. Um, well, first of all, let me say that when that was over, Jesus began his ministry and went on to Galilee, etc. Okay, so that was kind of a, that turning point. He fasted for those 40 days right before he went on to start his ministry. But we look at things from an earthly perspective. I'm doing without food. I'm, I'm so hungry, you know. Um, I really need something to eat, you know. From a spiritual perspective, God sees it differently. You know, we see it as suffering. God sees it as you showing him that you want to make that sacrifice to be in his will or to receive his His uh, understanding, etc. Okay? We need to learn to look at things from a different perspective than what we see in the world. Um, you know, I've had people tell me, you know, how could God stand by when the apostles were murdered, etc. And that's rough. And I don't have an answer for that except for the fact that we're looking at it from a earthly perspective. God may look down and see this, this thing that's happening, this, this end to one of his, his apostles' lives. One of his, one of his followers' lives, one of his Christians' lives. And we see it as a horrible atrocity, and it is. And I'm sure it grieves God when, when this loss of life happens. I have no doubt about that at all. But when you look at it from God's perspective, God's in heaven, and he's seen this event unfold, and he's like, okay, this is bad, but this has to happen. And here in about 30 minutes, you're gonna be standing right here next to me, not caring what just happened, not having any more pain, no more fear, no more anything. When we learn to turn away from that worldly perspective that says this is such a horrible event and it is but in the blink of an eye in the twinkling of an eye we're no longer here we're before God for the judgment and because we are sanctified through Christ's sacrifice he has paid the price for us and I just I can't stress it enough that it's hard on us as human beings because we see things from an earthly perspective and not a heavenly perspective. 
But as soon as we get to heaven and all the fear, the pain, the suffering, everything is gone, we won't even care what just happened. We won't even care in the least. So anyway, just getting off my soapbox here and getting over to uh, our lesson here again. All right. Now, even our Savior prepared himself spiritually by fasting and praying before he went out to go into his ministry right after that. So, again, Christ being an example for us, we want to follow that example, okay? Fasting and prayer is important, okay? Uh, all right, so let's talk about what fasting is as a, for a Christian or as a Christian. It's a spiritual awakening uh, when done for the right motives and in the right way. Again, not, you know, going back to Matthew chapter 6, not like the Pharisees. Not so that man can see us doing it, but so God can see us doing it. Right, so in the Old Testament, it was common to see people humble themselves by fasting and wearing sackcloth and covering themselves in ash. Uh, sometimes this is done as a group, but it's also seen as an individual event as well. Uh, when this is done, again, we must follow the words of Christ to make sure that this is done in private. If it's in a group, only that group should know about it or see it. Okay, uh, Fasting as a group or humbling yourself, especially again, going down to covering yourself in sackcloth or ash or certain ways you may humble yourself down. That's personal between you and God or between your group and God, okay? That's not something you wanna broadcast on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever, or Twitter, whatever else is out there. That's between you and God or your group and God, that's it, okay? Uh, some examples of this are uh, Psalm 35, 13. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned unto my own bosom. And in Esther 4.3, in every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. You know, these are examples of God's people humbling themselves down through fasting and prayer. So why is humbling yourself in this manner so important? Well, here's why. In, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, again, this is, this is an Old Testament verse, but it applies today just as well. This is when the Lord appeared to Solomon in the temple, and he told him a lot of different things, okay? But we're going to specifically focus on verse 14. So 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Again, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Humble themselves and pray. Fasting is a form of humbling as well. But wearing the sackcloth and ash again, that's, that's humbling as well. But fasting is a form of humbling yourself before God and praying. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God is seeking true believers that understand that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I'm preaching to myself right now just as much as anybody else. When we 
feel like we are more important, we have better things to do than to humble ourselves before the creator of all things, what kind of condition are we in? We are in a need of fasting and prayer more than ever in today's Christian church. And yet we do it less than we ever have. Fasting and prayer was commonplace. Commonplace back then. I'm going to get into that here in just a minute, but I want to give you another example right here. When God was going to destroy Nineveh, he sent Jonah. Now, we can get into Jonah didn't want to go. We can get into all that later. But right now, eventually, Jonah showed up. Okay, and what happened? We see in Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. And Jonah's a short book. That's easy to read. Okay, with Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his royal throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. We're talking about the king of a nation who received news that God was going to destroy Nineveh. When the king received that news, he humbled himself. He took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in dust. Now, let's, let's continue here. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently to God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Then God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways and he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Again, when God saw that they what they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, go back to 2 Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. He'll heal their land. Right here too, Nineveh. God healed their land. They spared them from destruction. They humbled themselves. They fasted. They prayed and turned from their ways. Fasting isn't popular to talk about. But the king of Nineveh ordered everyone to fast and pray and to humble themselves before God. And God saw this and had Fasting is a way of giving us a connection to God's will. And I want to give another example of this. Okay. Um, it allows us to have a better connection spiritually. allows God, His Son, and the Holy Spirit to better work in our lives. And us to be more receptive to what we're being told uh, through them. So let's look at a specific example. Now this specific example is found in Luke. This is going to be Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. Now, this is the prophetess Anna in the temple with Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. All right, so again, that's Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, this is when 
Joseph and Mary brought Jesus into the temple for the first time, 40 days. Um, so Joseph and Mary brought baby Jesus in the temple 40 days after his birth to consecrate the firstborn son to God. All right, so. Well, who is Anna? She was a prophetess from the tribe of Asher, the daughter of Phanuel, like stated there in the text, who fasted and prayed in the temple constantly. All right, she was in tune with God and the will of God. When they brought baby Jesus in, she knew he was the Messiah. Uh, Carolyn Roth of Carolyn Roth Ministries and carolynrothministries.com wrote, Joseph and Mary brought baby Jesus to the temple 40 days after his birth to consecrate their firstborn son to God. There, Anna saw the baby and knew immediately that he was the looked-for Christ child, the Messiah. Anna went up to the child and his parents and gave thanks to God for the baby. She spoke to all who would listen and who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. The fasting and prayer, the humbling herself and praying, the fasting and praying had her so in tune with the will of God that she knew as soon as Joseph and Mary walked in that they held the Messiah in their hands. Fasting opens us up to the will of God and tunes us in spiritually to what God wants us to do, needs us to do, wants us to know, okay? That's why it's so important to fast and to pray, and that Jesus specifically mentioned us fasting and praying as well. So that's something that we need to make sure that we're doing as Christians as best we can, okay? And we're gonna end uh, part one of our fasting series now, okay? Uh, but here's some other great verses on fasting for you to study. You know, read the context surrounding the verses, not just the verses themselves. Uh, it also helps read the whole chapter. You know, for example, when we say Matthew chapter six, um, it wouldn't hurt to read the whole chapter or the whole uh, whole chapter six instead of just the verses pertaining to fasting. Okay, um, but this gives you a good understanding of what's going on there in the context as well. But, uh, so Matthew chapter 6 is good. Matthew chapter 9, verses 15 through 16. That's Jesus talking some more about fasting. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Now this, this talks about abstaining during fasting. There's some verses in there about uh, abstaining from intimacy with your spouse during times of fasting and prayer for um, sanctification purposes. Uh, 2 Samuel 1, 12 talks about fasting and mourning. Acts 13, 2 through 3 and Acts 14, 23 talks about committing someone to God and fasting during that time period. Uh, Daniel 10, 3 and 9, 3 through 5 talks about the Daniel fast, how he abstained from certain things such as uh, eating meats, uh, sweet items, etc. And Luke 4, 2 through 4 is another account of Jesus fasting in the wilderness. So those are some really good verses there that you can go look. There's, there's so many more. I mean, if you get a Strom's Concordance or go online and then look at a Strom's Concordance online, and look at all the verses on fasting, there is far more than you realize there is in the Bible. It was very important uh, to early Christian churches, to, to believers, to old people in the Old Testament times, everything. It's just something we've got away from in the modern church. I think as a whole, not, not necessarily in certain churches or, in, or by certain people, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the entire church is, is kind of turned away from fasting, but large portions of it have. It seems like it's not really taught much anymore. It's not really spoken about, but yet there's there's a lot of emphasis put on the Bible. So I think that is something we need to get back to more of, including myself. 
so again, I'm, I'm preaching to myself for just as much as anybody else here. Okay, so let's go ahead and do a book review here real quick. Uh, this is a book called Fasting uh, by Jenison Franklin. I may mispronounce the name, I apologize. He is a pastor of a large church. Um, but I read this book a while back, and I believe I even mentioned it in light detail on a previous podcast. Um, here's all the technical info. The full title of the book is Fasting, Opening the Door to a Deeper, More Intimate, More Powerful Relationship with God. Uh, now this book is published by Charisma House, which is a Christian publishing firm. Uh, the book is 240 pages and it's offered in hardback. Now, uh, there are some companions to this particular book, uh, including Fasting Volume 2, Fasting Study Guide, Fasting Edge. There's a five-week fasting study DVD. I don't know if that's an individual or a, or a group thing. And I believe there's also a fasting journal as well. I did not read or see any of these items personally. I just seen them online, so I can't really give any insight to them. Uh, but the book has a lot of positive reviews online, and it's, it's fairly well written. Uh, Pastor Franklin goes into how his church does a fast at the beginning of every year, and they're all encouraged to participate, you know, staff, uh, all the congregation, etc. And he goes into why they chose to do this and how God has worked in their church as a result. And he goes into detail on different types of fasts that can be done by those who have medical or other issues which can preclude them uh, from uh, basically prevent you from withholding food for any long period of time, you know. Uh, he goes into some other options there such as the Daniel Fast and a few other things and I think we're going to hit that on another podcast as well. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and review a couple of real quick excerpts from the book. Uh, he talks about king stomach a lot. I'm going to bring that up here in a minute. Um, but he, he talks about right here, this is about Esau. Uh, another brilliant example of one in whom king stomach was high and lifted up is Esau, the son of Isaac and Rebekah. As was the custom, Esau was endowed with the special birthright of the firstborn male child. That birthright brought with it his father's special blessing and certain privileges. It automatically ensured that Esau would receive a double portion of all his father's estate. It was a blessing from God and not to be taken lightly. Esau was a hunter and his father delighted in him because of the abundance of meat he brought to the table. But when Esau returned from the field one day, perhaps having had no success in the hunt, he was hungry. His brother Jacob was about to have a simple meal of red lentils and bread, so Esau insisted he was famished, begged Jacob for the same meal, when he immediately agreed to exchange his birthright for it. So again, talking about king's stomach here. Uh, you know, sometimes your stomach can kind of control you. Uh, your hunger can control things. And he goes into more detail, like right here. Um, here's another excerpt from the book. When speaking of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, people usually focus on the rampant homosexuality in those cities. But that is not all the Bible teaches. The Lord said to Israel through the prophet Ezekiel, Look, this was the iniquity of our sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. So, again, he's saying that you have to remember, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, but... 
it wasn't just the homosexuality. There were other things there as well. Uh, one of which was fullness of food. It was being gluttons. Uh, so that's something we need to be aware of as well. Here, and another excerpt right here. <clears throat> this is responsibility of sanctification. The writer of the book of Hebrew warns, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. While the leadership, and that, that's Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, and he goes on to say, While the leadership should certainly set an example in personal sanctification and holy living, it is the responsibility of every believer to exhort fellow believers. Exhort means to be abrasive with one another, to encourage one another, and push one another to live holy so that no one fails into temptation and ends up turning away from God. So again, it, it, it's more than just fasting. It goes into ways to keep each other accountable, and it goes into ways that fasting can help that. And it also talks about fasting and demonic attack. Fasting can end the demonic attack on your family. Fasting can break the generational curses. When you fast, you lay a new foundation of blessings that will be transferred over to your children and your children's children. For this reason alone, I believe the head of any family who has ever been touched by divorce, abuse, molestation, etc., should designate a fast for your family and children in order to bind those demonic attacks from your generations. And you shall be called the repairers of the breach, the restorers of streets to dwell in, Isaiah 58, 12. So, again, he's going into more reasons why fasting is so important right there. And, again, it just goes to what we're talking about today. I feel like this is a good book. Now, there are there some things that maybe I don't necessarily um, totally like about it, but I'm not the person who wrote it. You know, he, they have a lot of individual examples of, of when people fasted and the results they got from that. I don't really have a problem with that, but I really feel like fasting is something that's more personal between you and God. But again, that's between you and God. If you feel like God wants you to go out there and talk about it and tell people about your experience, then by all means, go do it. Uh, maybe, maybe most of your fasting experiences are just between you and God. But maybe you have this one where you feel like God's putting it on you to go tell people about this. And then so be it. You know, so I'm not trying to be judgmental on that particular situation. I'm just saying that that is, that is something that I didn't notice. But I, I do like the way it's written. It's an easy read. It's not a hard book to read. Uh, it's got biblical references everywhere to everything he says. So there's nothing in this book that, that Pastor Franklin doesn't back up uh, with biblical scripture. So no one can go in there and say that, that he doesn't know what he's talking about or they don't know where he got this from because he does present it there in the text. And I think it's a really good book. Uh, I would encourage anyone who, who wants to learn a little bit more about facts to get this. Again, I can't talk about the companion books at all because I have not seen them at all. Uh, but the, the main book, uh, the, the fasting book that he has written, uh, again, it's, it is published by uh, it's a Charisma House. And you can get it online pretty much everywhere, sells at Amazon, all that stuff. And the full title of the book, again, is uh, Fasting, Opening the Door to a Deeper, More Intimate, More Powerful Relationship with God. So uh, check it out. All right, so let's... Uh, Let's go ahead and get into our Bible study here. Now, our Bible study is going to be in Ephesians, and this is the first part of it. This is going to be a slow study to cap off our podcast uh, each time we do one. Uh, basically, just reading for a few minutes and having some discussion on it. Uh, so, <clears throat> Ephesians, 
Obviously, this is about a letter written to Ephesus or in the churches surrounding. So here's the introduction my Bible has about this particular book right here. It says, this letter was written by Paul during his two-year imprisonment in Rome, which is about A.D. 60. This letter probably was not just sent to the church of Ephesus, but to all Christian churches near Ephesus. Ephesus was a large, important city at that time, so it was a natural center for the Christian churches. One of Paul's themes in Ephesians is that of unity and God's purpose to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Because of this unity, Paul wrote all Christians are one family in Jesus. They should act with love towards each other. He gives believers instructions on how to live a life of love by addressing the husband-wife, parent-child, and servant-master relationships. In this letter, Paul also writes about the church, not a church building in a certain place, but the church that is made up of all Christians who have ever lived. We call this the church universal. He compares Christ's relationship to the church, to the body, a building, and a wife. Uh, now, Ephesians is kind of broke down into a few different sections here. Uh, the first couple verses of chapter 1 is the greeting. We're just going to go over those first couple verses today. Uh, then you have uh, chapter 1, verse 3, through chapter 3, verse 21, which is basically the end of chapter 3. Uh, Christ in the church. Then chapter 4, through uh, midway through chapter 6, you're going to see conduct of the believer. That's going to be uh, that's going to be the part that people don't like to hear sometimes. Okay, uh, the Christian's warfare will be the part way through chapter six, through uh, the end of uh, well, actually, be uh, chapter six, verse ten through twenty, and the conclusion will be uh, chapter six, verse twenty-one through the end, which will be chapter twenty-four. Right there. So, let's go ahead and read these first few verses here. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus the faithful in Jesus Christ grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ now in verse 1 we find a greeting okay it's gonna be Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus the faithful in Christ Jesus it's a greeting like we have a modern letters today. You know, modern letters today, you write dear so-and-so or uh, to so-and-so or to whom it may concern, okay? It's the same thing, only he introduces who's writing it from the very beginning, all right? So, uh, he introduces himself as an apostle of Christ and he takes great honor in that, you know, it's, uh, he's known for that, you know, for taking great honor in being an apostle of Christ. And he states that the letter is written to the saints or church at Ephesus. Now we see in verse two, grace and peace to you from our, or from God our Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in the NIV. Now the King James version says, "Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ." This is a common greeting we're going to see. Uh, and I think all the epistles, you know, the, the the letters that Paul wrote to the churches are known as the epistles. Okay, so whenever we refer to the epistles, that's what that means. Okay, uh, so that's common. I, I 
can't think of any of the epistles that don't have that within the first few verses. I know Galatians does, uh, Corinthians does, so I know I know those are in there. So be aware that you're going to see that greeting in all those different epistles. Okay, uh, but it's a common greeting and it's a basic introduction uh, to the letter that he wrote, uh, and basically. He wants to. I don't know how to exactly phrase this without going off on a tangent somewhere. I don't. I don't want to do that. I've kind of done that a few times this podcast already, so I don't want to do that anymore. Um, the basic reading he's trying to say is: Look, this is a letter from Paul. I'm an apostle of Christ. I love being an apostle of Christ. This is to the church at Ephesus, to the Ephesians out there. You know, grace be to you. You know, that's that's showing. It's a greeting, it's showing blessings, it's showing, you know, that commonality when he goes on to say, uh, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ, from the NIV, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from Lord Jesus Christ. It's showing that commonality that, that we worship the same God, we have the same Savior. It's showing that commonality inside that greeting right there. And uh, that's a way right off the bat of establishing that common ground before he goes into the other things that he's going to say. So I feel like that is important. You know, oftentimes when you're talking to someone else, you want to establish some common ground there right from the beginning so they're more receptive to what you're going to have to say. And again, he was in prison at the time writing this letter and uh, he wanted to give this greeting, establish that common ground since he couldn't be there so that they would be more receptive to the other things he was going to say throughout the letter. And we're going to get more into this as we go on in our other podcast. Uh, in fact, in our next podcast, uh, we're going to include fasting and prayer, maybe even conclude fasting and prayer, hopefully next time. Uh, what fasting is not is what we're going to go into and how and when to fast. Um, there's some certain things about that. that that'll, that's a pretty short section out there, but uh, we're going to go into that. And we'll hopefully have another book review ready. It depends on how quickly I get this next podcast done, if I have that next book read or not. And we'll continue our study in Ephesians, which is going to take quite a while, just a little bit at a time. And, of course, we're going to have more unknown Christian soldiers out there who are in the fight. We're going to talk some more about them and uh, keep them in our thoughts and prayers. Keep keep those, those unknown Christian soldiers, those Christians out there, in the church there in Nigeria, keep them in your prayer. And of course, China and Korea and everywhere else that's suffering persecution out there, out there, keep them in your prayers. Uh, you know, fast and pray for them. They're going through so much. We can't even begin to imagine those of us who live in areas where we're not truly persecuted. So let's go ahead and close this out in prayer. Father God, thank you for allowing us to come together and produce this podcast and send it out so that other people can hear it. Allow it to be about them having understanding and gaining wisdom and not about me at all. Father, I pray you'll keep us safe until next time. And I pray that you will be done. Amen. All right, everyone. Good night. God bless.